0: Chapter Nine of Tenterhooks by Ada Levison. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor. Chapter Nine, Elmer At the Carlton, Aylmer had easily persuaded Bruce and Edith to dine with him next day, although they were engaged to the elder Missus Otley already. He said he expected two or three friends, and he convinced them they must come too it is only in london that people meet for the first time at a friend's house and then if they take to each other practically live together for weeks after no matter what social engagements they may happen to have these are all thrown aside for the new friend london people with all their correctness are really more unconventional than any other people in the world For instance, in Paris such a thing could never happen in any kind of Monde, unless perhaps it were among artists and bohemians, and even then it would be their great object to prove to one another that they were not wanting in distractions, and were very much in demand. The lady, especially, would make the man wait for an opportunity of seeing her again, from calculation, to make herself seem of more value such second-rate solicitudes would never even occur to edith but she had a scruple about throwing over old mrs ottley won't your mother be disappointed edith asked my dear edith you can safely leave that to me of course she'll be disappointed but you can go round and see her and speak to her nicely and tell her that after all we can't come because we've got another engagement and am i to tell her it's a subsequent one otherwise she'll wonder we didn't mention it before don't be in a hurry dear don't rush things remember she's my mother perhaps to you edith it seems rather an old-fashioned idea and i dare say you think it's rot but to me there's something very sacred about the idea of a mother he lit a cigarette and looked in the glass yes dear then don't you think we really ought to have kept our promise to dine with her she'll probably be looking forward to it i dare say she's asked one or two people she thinks will like to meet us circumstances alter cases edith if it comes to that elmer ross has got two or three people coming to dine with him whom he thinks we might like he said so himself that's why he asked us yes but he can't have asked them on purpose bruce because you see we didn't know him on thursday well why should he have asked them on purpose how you argue how you go on it really seems to me you're getting absurdly exacting and touchy edith dear I believe all those flowers from the embassy have positively turned your head. Why should he have asked them on purpose? You admit yourself that we didn't even know the man last Thursday, and yet you expect—' Bruce stopped. He had got into a slight tangle. Edith looked away. She had not quite mastered the art of the inward smile. "'Far better, in my opinion,' continued Bruce, walking up and down the room. "'Now don't interrupt me in your impulsive way, but hear me out—' It would be far more kind and sensible in every way for you to sit right down at that little writing-table, take out your stylographic pen, and write and tell my mother that I have had a bad attack of influenza. Yes, one should always be considerate to one's parents. I suppose it really is the way I was brought up that makes me feel this so keenly,' he explained. Edith sat down to the writing-table. "'How bad is your influenza?' Oh, not very bad, because it would worry her. A slight attack. Stop. Not so very slight. We must let her think it's the ordinary kind, and then she'll think it's catching, and she won't come here for a few days, and that will avoid our going into the matter in detail, which would be better. If she thinks it's catching, dear, she'll want Archie and Dilly, and Miss Townsend and Nurse to go and stay with her in South Kensington, and that will be quite an affair. Right as usual very thoughtful of you you're a clever little woman sometimes edith wait he put up his hand with a gesture frequent with him like a policeman stopping the traffic at hyde park corner wait leave out the influenza altogether and just say i've caught a slight chill yes then she'll come over at once and you'll have to go to bed my dear edith said bruce you're over-anxious i shall do nothing of the kind "'There's no need that I should be laid up for this. "'It's not serious.' "'He was beginning to believe in his own illness, as usual. "'Air. "'I want to go round to the club. "'Tonic treatment. "'That's the thing. "'That's often the very best thing for a chill, this sort of chill. "'Ah, that will do very nicely. "'Very neatly written. "'Good-bye, dear.' "'As soon as Bruce had gone out, "'Edith rang up the elder Mrs. Otley on the telephone,' and received her anxiety in advance. They were great friends. The sense of humour possessed by her mother-in-law took the sting out of the relationship. The dinner at Aylmer's house was a great success. Bruce enjoyed himself enormously, for he liked nothing better in the world than to give his opinion, and Aylmer was specially anxious for his view as to the authenticity of a little old master he had acquired, and took notes also of a word of advice with regard to electric lighting, admitting that he was not a very practical man, and Bruce evidently was. Edith was interested and pleased to go to the house of her new friend, and to reconstruct the scene as it must have been when Mrs. Aylmer Ross had been there. Freddy, the boy, was at school, but there was a portrait of him. Evidently he resembled his father. The sketch represented him with the same broad forehead— smooth dense light hair pale blue eyes under eyebrows with a slight frown in them and the charming mouth rather fully curved expressing an amiable and pleasure-loving nature the boy was good-looking but not edith thought as handsome as aylmer the only other woman present was lady everard a plump talkative middle-aged woman in black the smiling widow of lord everard and well known for her lavish musical hospitality and her vague and indiscriminate good-nature she bristled with aigrettes and sparkled with diamonds and determination she was marvellously garrulous about nothing in particular she was a woman who never stopped talking for a single moment but in a way that resembled leaking rather than laying down the law tepidly indifferently and rather amusingly She prattled on without ceasing, on every subject under the sun, and was socially a valuable help, because where she was, there was never an awkward pause, or any other kind. Vincy was there, and young Cricker, whose occasional depressed silences were alternated with what he called a certain amount of sparkling chaff. Lady Everard told Edith that she felt quite like a sort of mother to Aylmer, "'Don't you think it's sad, Mrs. Otley?' she said, when they were alone, "'to think that the dear fellow has no wife to look after this dear little house. It always seems to me such a pity, but still, I always say, at any rate, Aylmer's married once, and that's more than most of them do nowadays. It's simply horses' work to get them to do it at all. Sometimes I think it's perfectly disgraceful.' and yet i can't help seeing how sensible it is of them too you know when you think of it what with one thing and another what does a man of the present day need a wife for what with the flats where everything on earth is done for them and the kindness of friends Just think how bachelors are spoilt by their married friends, and their clubs, and the frightful expense of everything. It seems to me, as a general rule, that the average man must be madly unselfish or a perfect idiot to marry at all. That's what it seems to me, don't you, (laughs) when you think of all the responsibilities they take upon themselves. And I am sure there are not many modern wives who expect to do anything on earth but have their bills and bridge debts paid, and their perpetual young men asked. "'to dinner, and one thing and another. (laughs) "'Of course, though, there are some exceptions,' she smiled amiably. Aylmer tells me you have two children. "'Very sweet of you, I'm sure. "'What darling pets they must be. "'Angels, angels. "'Oh, I'm so fond of children, but particularly isn't it funny "'when they're not there, because I can't stand their noise. "'Now, my little grandchildren—' "'My daughter Eva's been married ten years lady lindley you know hers are perfect pets and heavenly angels but i can't stand them for more than a few minutes at a time i have nerves so much so do you know partly because i go in a good deal for music and intellect and so on so much so that i very nearly had a rest cure at the end of last season and i should have had probably but that new young french singer came over with a letter of introduction to me, and of course I couldn't desert him, but had to do my very best. Ever heard him sing? Yes, you would, of course. Oh, how wonderful it is! Edith waited in vain for a pause to say that she didn't know the name of the singer. Lady Everard went on, leaning comfortably back in Aylmer's armchair. "'Willie Cricker dances very prettily, too. He came to one of my evenings and had quite a success.' Only an amateur, of course, but rather nice. However, like all amateurs, he wants to perform only when people would rather he didn't. And when they want him to, he won't. He refuses. That's the amateur all over. The professional comes up to the scratch when wanted, and stops when the performance is not required. It's all the difference in the world, isn't it, Mrs. Otley? Still, he's a nice boy. Are you fond of music?' "'Very.' really fond of it but i am only a listener lady everard seemed delighted and brightened up oh you don't sing or play you must come to one of my musical evenings we have all the stars in the season at times dear melba and caruso and darling bemberg and dear debussy oh don't laugh at my enthusiasm my dear but i'm quite music mad and then of course we have any amount of amateurs and all the new young professionals that are coming in in my opinion paul lafrance thats the young man i was telling you about will be one of the very very best quite at the top of the tree and i am determined he shall but of course he needs care and encouragement i think of his giving a conference in which he'll lecture on his own singing i shall be on the platform to make a sort of introductory speech and monty of course will accompany He is the only accompanist that counts, but then I suppose he's been accompanying somebody or other ever since he was a little boy, so it's second nature to him. And you must come and bring your husband. Does he go with you to places? Very nice of him. Nowadays, if husbands and wives don't occasionally go to the same parties, they have hardly any opportunity of meeting at all. That's what I always say. But then, of course, you're still almost on your honeymoon, aren't you? (laughs) Charming.' In the dining-room, Cricker was confiding in Aylmer, while Vincy and Bruce discussed the old master. "'Awful, you know,' Cricker said in a low voice. "'This girl's mania for me. I get wires and telephones all day long, and she hardly gives me the time to shave. And she's jolly pretty, so I don't like to chuck it. In fact, I daren't. But her one cry is, cold, cold, cold. She says I'm as cold as stone. What do you think of that?' "'You may be a stone, and a rolling one at that,' said Aylmer. "'But there are other pebbles on the beach, I dare say.' "'I bet not one of them as stony as I am,' cried Cricker. Cricker came a little nearer, lowering his voice again. "'It's a very peculiar case,' he said proudly. "'Of course, it always is. You see, she's frightfully pretty, on the stage, and married.' "'one of the most awkward positions a person can be in. "'Mind you, I'm sorry for her. "'I thought of consulting you about something "'if you'll give me a minute or two, old chap.' "'He took out a letter-case. "'I don't mean I'll show you this. "'Oh, no, I can't show it. "'It isn't compromising.' "'Of course not. "'No one really likes to show a really lukewarm love-letter. "'Besides, it would hardly be... Cricker put the case back. "'My dear chap, I wasn't going to show it to you. I shouldn't dream of such a thing. To anybody. But I was just going to read you out a sentence, from which you can form an opinion of my predicament. It's no good mincing matters, old boy. The woman is crazy mad about me. There, you've got it straight, in a nutshell. Crazy!' "'She certainly can't be very sane,' returned Aylmer. Before the end of the evening— Aylmer had arranged to take the Otleys to see a play that was having a run. After this he dropped in to tea to discuss it, and Bruce kept him to dinner. Day after day went on, and they saw him continually. He had never shown by word or manner any more of his sentiment than on the second occasion when they had met. But Edith was growing thoroughly accustomed to this new interest, and it certainly gave a zest to her existence for she knew, as women do know, or at any rate she believed, that she had an attraction for him, which he didn't intend to give away. The situation was pleasant, and notwithstanding Vincy's slight anxiety, she persisted in seeing nothing in it to fear in any way. Aylmer didn't even flirt. One day, at Vincey's rooms, she thought he seemed different. Vincey, with all his gentle manner, had in art an extraordinary taste for brutality and violence, and his rooms were covered with pictures by futurists and cubists, wild studies by wild men from Tahiti, and a curious collection of savage ornaments and weapons. "'I don't quite see Vinci handling that double-edged Chinese sword, do you?' said Aylmer, laughing. "'No, nor do I, but I do like to look at it,' Vinci said." They went into the little dining-room, which was curiously furnished with a green marble dining-table, narrow, as in the pictures of the Last Supper, at which the guests could sit only on one side, to be waited on from the other. On it, as decoration—it was laid for two, side by side—were some curious straw mats, a few laurel leaves, a little marble statuette of Pan, and three tangerine oranges. "'Oh, Vincy, do tell me, what are you going to eat to-night?' Edith exclaimed. "'Unless you're with other people, I never can imagine you sitting down to a proper meal.' "'Eat. Oh, a nice orange, I think,' said he. "'Sometimes when I'm alone I just have a nice egg and a glass of water. "'I do myself very well. Don't worry about me, Edith.' When they were alone for a moment, Aylmer looked out of the window. It was rather high up, and they looked down on the hustling crowds of people, pushing along through the warm air in Victoria Street. "'It's getting decent weather,' he said. "'Yes, quite warm.' They always suddenly talked commonplaces when they were first left alone. "'I may be going away pretty soon,' he said. "'Going away? Oh, where?' "'I'm not quite sure yet.' There was a pause. "'Well?' You'll come to tea tomorrow, won't you? said Edith. Yes, indeed. Thank you, thank you so much. I shall look forward to it. At five? He spoke formally. At four, said Edith. I shall be lunching not very far from you to morrow. At a quarter to four, said Edith. I wonder who this other place is laid for, said Aylmer, looking at the table. How indiscreet of you. So do I. One must find out. How? by asking. Good heavens, no! cried Edith. What an extraordinary idea! End of chapter 9